No, you know, it's good to be able to laugh together and smile together as we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It was a time for laughing, and it was also a time to be more serious. And I wanted to begin the sermon this afternoon by asking a more serious question. If someone came up to you and they asked, how do you lead a happy and successful life? What do I do if I want to lead a happy and successful life? Is there a path or is there a key that unlocks the door to a happy and successful life, to a more rewarding future? Is there a source that provides advice that can help us avoid the pain and the pitfalls of life? Your life, in one sense, is kind of like a minefield. You make the wrong decisions and things do not go well. But if you can make wise decisions, right decisions, then life is going to go much better. You know, on the Sabbath and at the feast and at the holy days, we're commanded to come out of the world, kind of leave the world behind for 24 hours and listen to informative sermons. Could be on prophecy, could be on doctrine, could be on Christian living, could be on church history, biblical personalities, about the kingdom of God. But then after services, we fellowship, and then we go home. And we have to spend the next week making decisions of how to act in a certain situation, how to deal with this person or that person. Uh, <clears throat> we've got decisions to make about how to live our life. But unfortunately, sometimes the decisions that we make get us into trouble. And then we have to deal with the results of those decisions. I remember talking to an older elder one time that lived up in the mountains in California. And we were just talking. He said, Doug, you know, sometimes people dig such deep holes for themselves by their decisions that they can't get out of those holes for the rest of their life. Your decisions have an incredible impact on our life. What I'd like to do in the sermon today is talk about some important principles that God has given us in his word to point us toward a happy, successful life. And also warnings to keep us from going in a direction that is really going to make our life miserable for a period of time. I've entitled the sermon Proverbs, Vital Lessons in Life. Proverbs, Vital Lessons in Life. So that we can learn to live a happier and more successful life. And I want to talk about the book of Proverbs, and we'll talk a little bit about its author, Solomon. Because a very interesting as well as historical person. Not hysterical, but historical. And he's written a book that's going to be very beneficial if we spend some time in it. But before we get into the sermon, I'd like to put this whole subject in a biblical and a historical perspective. Why do we need to talk about vital lessons in life? Basically, because we all have a life to live. If we're younger, we have a longer lifespan ahead of us for most of us. If we're older, 
Now, lifespan may be shorter, but as older people, we have lessons that we can share with younger people. You know, when you look at history down through the ages, we see several constants, things that don't seem to change about human nature. One of those constants is that in every generation, we see an attitude that I know better because these older people are behind the times. And as a younger person, I've got my fingers on the pulse of things, and, and, and I know better. And this is an attitude. If you look back through history or you look around today, there's a tendency. I was a young person once. <laughs> and for those of you that are parents, you'll see this in your kids. I don't need to listen to mom and dad. I, I know. I know. I know. There's another constant that we see as we look at history. In every age, every person basically is going to face the same temptations, the same temptations. It doesn't change from generation to generation to generation. Those temptations are all pretty much the same. But again, the lesson of history is, and the sad reality is, that people tend to make the same mistakes from one generation to another. They make the same mistakes in the same areas from one generation to another. But why do they make the same mistakes? Why do human beings make the same mistakes? It's basically because they forget or they ignore or they were never told about fundamental principles that guide us in life. They either forget or they ignore or they were never told some of the most important things about life. And let me list very quickly here at the beginning four or five reasons why people make bad decisions. Four or five reasons why people make bad decisions. Number one, most people today don't realize that Satan does exist. They don't realize how he operates. They don't realize that he exists, he's real, he's evil, and he's dangerous. You know, we read in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that Satan is the unseen God of this world. He's the one that guides. He's the one that influences things. He's the one that pushes certain standards. And if we don't understand that we're dealing with a spiritual power, we're going to get blindsided sooner or later. So 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is the unseen God of this world, and he influences this world. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. He influences our thoughts, and our thoughts can influence our actions. You know, I've used this example when our boys were little. I was walking up the stairs one night, and uh, each of the boys was behind me. Uh, I won't identify the names, but you'll figure it out. One boy that was right behind me turned around and kicked his brother in the stomach. And I grabbed his shoulder and said, why did you kick your brother? He said, I just felt like it. I just felt like it. 
Then I said, who do you think would put a thought like that in your mind to kick your brother? He said, I think I know. I said, one of the lessons of life, the sooner we learn it, the better, is we don't act on every thought that comes into our mind. See, Satan wants us to do certain things. I think when I was in graduate school, I was laying out in the roof of a house where I was renting an apartment. And I was learning about the spirit world and demons and whatever. And I got up and looked over the edge and I had this thought. I wonder if God would save me if I just stepped off the edge of the roof. The thought was there. But I I knew about gravity. (laughs) No, I better not do that. I also read it was wrong to test God. Satan took um, Jesus up to the top of the temple and said, jump off and see if your angel will save me. But I was learning these things. But the thought came into my mind. Now, you can think about other things that may come into your mind. And the lesson we have to learn is we don't act on every thought. Some of those thoughts we need to just say, keep on going. Don't stop here. But the world doesn't understand this. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, we're told that Satan is our adversary. He's against us, and he wants to destroy us. But we have got to recognize the thoughts that he puts into our minds, and then resist those thoughts. So one of the main reasons people make bad decisions, they don't recognize where these thoughts come from, or these urges, or these ideas. And we've got to recognize that if we're going to live a Christian life. Second major reason, many people don't realize that God is a loving father. 1 John 4.8. Loving fathers will give their children advice. Don't do this. Don't go there. Don't go down that path. And God has done that for us in the Bible and especially in the book of Proverbs to help us understand there's a way that's not right. There is another way that is right. But if we don't understand that God is a loving father and he's given us a book full of advice, not a book full of fables, Not a book full of fables, but a book full of very practical advice. The third thing that many people don't realize, that an important part of life is learning how to make wise decisions. An important part of life is learning how to make wise decisions, not foolish decisions that will bite us. But learning to make wise decisions between two ways of life, and this is a theme most of you realize that runs through the scriptures. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and they were told there's two trees. And those two trees pictured two different ways of life. But they were given a choice. They were given the freedom of choice to make those decisions. Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses told the Israelites, I've set before you life, and death. And he says, choose life. Choose life. Make a wise choice. Jesus carried the same theme through in Matthew chapter 7, where he talks about there's a broad, wide way that everybody goes. The world goes that way. But there's a narrow way that leads to life. 
if you find it. So these are a number of reasons why people make unwise decisions, make bad decisions. They don't realize we're dealing with Satan and his influence. They don't realize that a loving father gave us a book filled with principles that will keep us on a straight path. And they don't realize that an important part of life is really learning how to make good decisions, make wise decisions, because God has made us free moral agents. He's given us the capacity to choose, but then he allows us to reap the results of the decisions that we make because he wants us to learn. He wants us to learn. And there's another reason. This is either four or five, depending on how you number these things. I think many people today think, well, just God loves us and he'll not let anything happen to us. And yet you read over and over again, latter part of Judges chapter 2, early part of chapter 3 in the book of Judges, that God tests us. In Judges, he told the Israelites, I'm letting some of those Canaanites stay in the land. You didn't drive them out, but I'm going to leave them there to test you to see whether or not you will obey me and follow in my footsteps, follow my directions. Paul mentions uh, later about that God tests us. He'll allow us to be tested. You might say, he's mean. Why is he doing that? He wants us to build character. He wants us to build character so that we will make wise decisions. And it's not just for us. If we learn to make wise decisions in this life, he's going to give us eternal life. We're going to be in the kingdom of God, and we're going to be able to tell, basically show all mankind, all the peoples of the world, this is the way, walk you in it. This is the way that's going to work. This is the way that's going to bring peace and joy and happiness forever. Not just momentarily for a couple minutes, but forever, for eternity. So this is why we have the book of Proverbs, to to point us in a right direction. It's there for giving us advice. Before we get into the book, let's talk a little bit about the author. Turn to Proverbs. We're going to spend a lot of time uh, just basically in the book of Proverbs today. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, we learn that it reads here, the, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. So we're reading a book that was in part written by Solomon. He was also the collector of Proverbs and also the editor of the book of Proverbs. He had other people working to gather Proverbs together. You might think, well, Solomon was this wonderful, wise person. He just had everything going for him. He was rich and a king and so on. But Solomon had a very interesting background. You don't need to turn to these scriptures, but in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, We learn that David had an affair with Bathsheba then plotted to have her husband killed. Had an affair with her, had a child. The child died. But then after the husband of Bathsheba died, he married or brought Bathsheba into his palace. 
And they conceived another child, and that child was Solomon. And that was a cloud that was probably over his life as he grew up as a kid. There goes Solomon. You know where he came from. But if you'll read, and just jot this down, 2 Samuel 12, verse 24, it said God loved Solomon. God loved Solomon in spite of the background. It said God loved Solomon. I turn to um, 1 Kings chapter 3, where we learn just a little bit more about the author of the book of Proverbs. 1 Kings. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. In chapter 3, he was commissioned by his father. Now, that was in chapter 2, I think. He's going to become the king, and David told him, Prove yourself, be a man, you know, be strong. In chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Solomon loved the Lord, walked in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed. Uh, and burn incense in high places. But he loved the Lord. Why did, as a young man, Solomon love the Lord? Chances are it was because of the input from his parents. If you go back and read later, Psalm 51, that apparently David penned after he had committed adultery and had Uriah murdered. Read Psalm 51, and David was pouring his heart out to God. He said, I really messed up. I really, really messed up. Please forgive me, wash me off, point me in the right direction. Chances are Solomon got a little bit more attention when he was growing up from a dad who was very repentant. And we'll read a little bit about Bathsheba a little bit later. And the implication is David and Bathsheba must have given Solomon a different kind of attention because it said he loved the Lord. He must have been pointed in a right direction by his parents. It says Solomon loved the Lord, had a dream that night, verse 5. God appeared to him in a dream and said, ask and what shall I give you? In other words, ask whatever you would like of me. Solomon asked for wisdom. Verse 9, he says, Therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. Verse 10, it says, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this thing. Then God said, Because you have asked for this thing, that is wisdom, and have not asked for a long life for yourself, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself an understanding understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words, and I have given you a wise and understanding heart. But down in verse 13, I have also given you what you have not asked for, riches, honor, so there will be none like you among all the kings of your days. God rewarded Solomon's request for wisdom. I think, brethren, if we ask God on our part, God, please give me wisdom. Help me learn. Help me grow so that I can serve others and discern between good and evil, right and wrong, and help other people do those same things. 
Solomon was rewarded because of having a humble attitude. He said, look, I'm no big thing. Uh, I need your help. I need your guidance to do the job that I've been given to do. A little bit more about Solomon. Turn over to chapter 4, beginning verse 29. What we're doing here is getting a background of the person who collected and who authored and who edited the book of Proverbs. Verse 29, And God gave Solomon wisdom according and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart. He saw the big picture of things like the thousand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east. This would include Job and other people. For he was wiser than all the men. And it lists their names there. Now notice what he did. Chapter, uh, verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs. Now he spoke them or wrote them down or collected them. And his songs were 1,005. So he was a composer. He was an author. He spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon under the hyssop of the springs uh, out of the wall. So he was into botany. He spoke of animals and birds. He was into zoology, ornithology, and of creeping things and of fish. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear his wisdom. So Solomon was a protege. He wanted to learn about almost anything and everything. He was a serious student in that sense. He just didn't sit around and play games. He studied. He learned. He wanted to grow. You can read in uh, the 10th chapter of First Kings about the Queen of Sheba, apparently from the area of Yemen, southern part of the Arabian Peninsula. She came to visit Solomon, and she said she was amazed at the wealth and the peace in his kingdom. It blew her away. She said, I heard about this stuff, but wow, this is more than anything I'd ever anticipated. Also in Second Kings 10, verses 11 to 23, it says, Solomon's ship sailed with the Phoenicians. Now, the Phoenicians were the navigators of the ancient world. Around 600 B.C., they apparently circumnavigated Africa, went out through the Straits of Gibraltar and came back up through the uh, the Red Sea, that area. There's some evidence that the Phoenicians may have come to the New World around 1,000 or 900 B.C. So Solomon wasn't just sitting at home. He was doing things. His men sailed with the Phoenicians. But in chapter 11, we run into some snags, or at least Solomon did. Second Kings chapter 11. <clears throat> said, But Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry. So Solomon forgot this advice. Because they were told, surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. Done in verse 3. So Solomon had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart to worship other gods. So Solomon had a lot of wisdom, had a lot of knowledge, but he made a couple of fundamental mistakes. You know, Moses had told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, advice to kings. He says, don't 
have a lot of wives, you will turn your heart away from me. And yet Solomon did that. He did that. He forgot the advice that God had given him. You know, we live in a world today where supposedly the path to happiness for men is wine and women and song. Party. The advice for women is men, money, and things. Go shopping. These are not the path to happiness. These are very temporary things. Very temporary things. Notice the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. Ecclesiastes appears to have been written by Solomon later in his life. Verse 1, chapter 1, the words of the preacher. Now, it doesn't name Solomon here. But David didn't have too many sons that were preachers and kings of Jerusalem. But pretty much by elimination brings us down to Solomon. So these are the words of Solomon. He starts out in verse 2, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now what it means is physical pleasures are temporary. Physical pleasures are temporary. They don't bring lasting happiness. They don't bring lasting satisfaction. Now, you might save up all your money to buy the ideal automobile or the ideal this or the ideal that. I remember one of the families that I I couldn't have babysat for their kids in high school because they didn't have any babies. (laughs) They didn't have any children. But... uh, I know this, he was, he was a friend of one of our neighbors. He bought a brand new porch. He would park it in his garage at night and put a blanket over it. He didn't want it to get dusty. <laughs> that was his special baby. I don't know whether it was him or somebody else who brought this, bought a brand new Porsche, and it was like, wow, this is what I've always wanted. And then the Porsche company came out with a bigger model about six months later. <laughs> It was kind of like, oh, I spent all this money for this car, and now it's out of date by six months. See, physical things, they they don't bring lasting satisfaction. They're temporary. They're temporary. This is what Solomon is talking about, vanity of vanity. You can try this, you can go there, you can do this, do whatever. And once you've done it, you've done it. Then there's, there's another mountain to climb. There's something else to buy. You can read through the chapters 2 and 3 where Solomon mentions chapter 1, verse 13. I set my heart to seek and search out wisdom by, cons- by concerning all things done under the sun. Verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. And I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. It was he tried everything. He did everything. He bought everything. He somehow accumulated 700 wives and 300 concubines. That wasn't by accident. It wasn't through a Sears catalog. There were plans and schemes and things done that way. And you can read then the latter part of chapter 2. He became a candidate for suicide. He became a candidate for suicide. He realized 
this didn't work. This didn't work. I've tried everything and it didn't work. Let's jump now to chapter 12. And he's writing apparently as an older person, trying to pass on information to younger people. He says, chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. As a young person, remember there is a God. Remember there is a way of life that works. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. And what he's talking about is old age. When your eyes get dim and you don't see as well as you once did and your knees don't work as well as they once used to. I saw a cartoon the other day that said, whenever you're younger, you talk about your right knee and your left knee. As you get older, well, this is my good knee and this is my bad knee. (laughs) They don't work like they used to. But this is what Solomon's talking about. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. So you get to the end of your life and realize, I really messed up. I should have done it this way. I should have done it that way. And he's writing out of love. He says this twice. Verse 6, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. In other words, before it's too late. Verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was. Your body goes back to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So he says, remember your creator. Again, he repeats, vanity of vanities. The preacher says all is vanity. These physical pleasures don't last. So be careful. Verse 9, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Here at the end of his age, he's still trying to pass on lessons. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs, which we will look at in just a moment. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. And proverbs are a, a short summary of a truth. And then his final conclusions, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. He's winding up his life. And this is coming from a man who had done everything, been everywhere, tried everything, and realized that doesn't work. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God. Obey God. And keep his commandments. For this is man's all. This is the whole purpose of human life. To do it God's way. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. In other words, we'll reap what we sow. We'll reap what we sow. God wants us to learn lessons. That's why he's created us free moral agents, to be able to make our own decisions. Okay, a little bit about the book of Proverbs. A proverb is a brief statement of a general truth. A brief statement of a general truth about personal conduct. A brief statement of a general truth about personal conduct. A proverb is a compact statement that sticks in your mind. You know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, Ohio. 
My background was Pennsylvania Germans coming out of eastern Pennsylvania. You go over to eastern Pennsylvania, you buy these little plaques. And one of them is a German saying, we get so soon old and so late smart. We get so soon old and so late smart. In other words, <laughs> we learn these lessons. Sometimes it takes us a whole life to learn that I shouldn't have done it that way. The Chinese, I believe, have a proverb that says, may you live in interesting times. It's a curse. <laughs> if you live in uninteresting times, it's going to be peaceful. If you live in interesting times, <laughs> it could be very scary. I told one of the men, I think, over in the Philippines, I may have mentioned this. I met him and talked with him. I said, you're an interesting fellow. He's looked at me and said, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? I said, it means you're an interesting person. <laughs> but he was concerned. Maybe he'd heard the Chinese proverb. I don't know. <clears throat> the book of Proverbs is a collection of practical advice for living a godly life. It's a collection of practical advice for living a godly life. One of the Bible handbooks I was going through said it's an owner's manual. The book of Proverbs is an owner's manual for how to be, succeed and be happy. And just a little bit of background. The book of Job, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes fall into what some people categorize as wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is so concerned with knowledge, concerned with wisdom. Proverbs is actually, if you'll notice some of the, head, the uh, headings of some of the chapters, uh, it's actually broken down into five divisions. Some were written by Solomon. Some were written by men uh, who copied things out from other sources. Proverbs is a book about wisdom. Psalms is also uh, broken down into five divisions. But it's a book of worship, not a book of wisdom. But there's wisdom in Psalms, too. What is the purpose? Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 1. What is the purpose of the book? <clears throat> what is the purpose of the book? And we find that in the first <clears throat> six or seven verses. Chapter uh, 1, verse 2, to know wisdom or to attain wisdom and instruction. The book is here so that you can grow in wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Now notice the words that we're talking about here. To receive or attain instruction of wisdom, judgment, justice, and equity. To give prudence, carefulness, discernment to the simple. And notice the word that's there. And to the young man, knowledge and discretion. We could say to the young woman, the young person knowledge and discretion. Then it says a wise person, a wise man, will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain or listen to wise counsel. To understand a proverb and its puzzle or it's an, it's an enigma. And the words of the wise are like riddles. So this is the purpose of the book, to help us grow in wisdom and understanding. 
And what's interesting is when you look at the book of Proverbs and start reading through it, you're going to run across three words that are mentioned over and over and over again. Three words that are repeated again and again and again. And those words are knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Now you can brush it off and say, well, they're all the same. No, they're not all the same. Just define them. Let's define them very quickly. Knowledge is collecting facts and information. Knowledge has to do with facts. This is a book, and there's such a thing as gravity. I'm not going to drop it because it's already coming apart. But knowledge has to do with facts. Understanding is discerning the relationship between the facts. Understanding is discerning a relationship between the facts. This is a book. There is gravity. If I drop it, it's going to go down. You can use other examples. Alcohol, for example, is something I can drink. Another fact, alcohol is intoxicating. Understanding, if I drink alcohol too much, I'll get drunk. You're putting facts together. You understand, if I drink too much, I'll get drunk. Wisdom is using facts and understanding to make wise decisions. Wisdom is using facts and understanding to make wise decisions. I know that alcohol is intoxicating. The wise decision would be, I'm not going to drink and then try and drive. Because another fact, many accidents are due to people drinking and driving. So the, the wise decision would be, I'm not going to drink and then drive because something bad could happen. Another fact with alcohol. Alcohol is drinkable and it's intoxicating. A wise decision would be, I'm not going to drink when I'm around someone that I'm attracted to of the opposite sex. <laughs> Otherwise, I could get into trouble. See, facts, understanding, and wisdom. If we can grasp those things, if we can grasp those things, it's going to save us a lot of problems. If you're hiking up in the mountains, again, thinking about gravity, if I get too, ed too close to the edge of the cliff and I slip, <laughs> I may not survive because gravity will begin come into action and it's going to be all over. In many cases, we have facts. Well, we know about alcohol and we know about drinking and driving and we know about what alcohol can do to our sense of judgment. But somehow we get into these decisions and we, these situations, we don't make wise decisions. A little bit of a comparison between Proverbs and the books of Moses. Books of Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, are filled with commandments. Thou shalt not do this, or thou shalt do that. Very direct instructions, commandments, commands in that sense. The book of Proverbs offers advice, not commands, but advice. A wise person will do this, and a fool 
will do that. So two different learning teaching styles. One is commanding. The other one is offering advice. And it appeals to do two different learning styles. A lot of us don't like to be told what to do. (laughs) But if it's approached in a different manner, a wise person will do it this way. Moses said the same thing as a command. Or a fool will do it that way. Now, most of us don't want to be fools. But we resent being told what to do. But we might respond if someone offers us a decision to make. One other thing before we get into the book of Proverbs. You'll notice that Proverbs uses these words, knowledge and wisdom and understanding, over and over and over. And if you can just remember the difference between those two. But Proverbs also uses a number of different words to refer to different kinds of fools. A number of different words to refer to different kinds of fools. And I'm not going to go through all the Hebrew. You can look it up in a concordance. But one word means a simple person. We just read simple there in the first chapter. A simple person is a naive person. They believe everything they hear. I remember a little boy that lived next to us uh, in the town that I grew up in. His mom took a, a, not cosmetology, but a, a cosmology magazine. had to do with the stars. And this kid just loved to talk. He said, you know, the moon is made out of green cheese. And, of course, we're pulling It's like, how do you know that? My mom told me. She takes this magazine. We didn't believe him. But he was just talking. One type of fool is a simple person, a gullible person. They're easily influenced. The Bible said that person's a fool. Another, name, another word that's used is for an obstinate person. This is the way I've always done it. This is the way I'm going to continue to do it, and I'm not going to change because I'm right. Very obstinate. Another word means a stupid person. They make stupid decisions. They keep on making stupid decisions. The Bible said that person's a fool. You know, the swimmer recently that uh, won some gold medals down there in in, uh, Rio de Janeiro, they went out and got drunk. The guy's 30-some years old. Went out with some swimmers that were in their 20s. They got drunk. They messed up, busted up some stuff at a, a rest stop, and then invented a story that they were held up, and his sponsors began withdrawing their sponsorships. The one dumb decision and one false story resulted in the loss of a huge amount of income, it appears. Made a, a stupid decision. Another word, the word Nabal, Nabal, N-A-B-A-L, was actually a man's name, made some very unwise decisions because he wasn't interested in the facts. He's called a fool. That's what the word Nabal means. Another word is translated scoffer, a person that dislikes correction. They're a troublemaker, and they influence other people to make bad decisions. That's what a scoffer does. I don't agree with what the church teaches. I don't agree with what's in the Bible. Let's do it this way. And he causes other people to make bad decisions. And one final word has to do with the lazy person. You're always making excuses. Well, I can't get a job because uh, I need to sleep in in the mornings. Or 
you know, I, I can't do this because of that. The Bible said that person's a lazy person, is a fool. You know, there was a song that came out some years ago. I think Sammy Davis Jr. sang it, Tony Bennett sang it, Robert Goulet sang it. I heard Robert Goulet sing one time. They were doing a, I think it was South Pacific up in Providence, Rhode Island. He's not that big a guy, but like this, he wears elevator shoes. <laughs> but when he opened his mouth, they didn't need a microphone. Just, his voice just filled up the auditorium. But he sang the song, What Kind of Fool Am I? What kind of fool am I who never fell in love because I'm the only person that I was ever thinking of? He said, I was a fool. But we know when you look at all these words that mean fool in the book of Proverbs, we could ask ourselves, what kind of fool could I be if I don't follow the instructions that are there? So with that introduction, I wanted to look at the book of Proverbs. If you read through each chapter in the book of Proverbs, you're going to find 10 or 15 Proverbs, about 10 or 15 different subjects in each chapter. So what I did, I went through the book of Proverbs, and I organized them into 12 categories. 12 categories that I'm going to call the 12 pillars of wisdom. And I would encourage you to do something similar or take the categories we're talking about and find other Proverbs that fit in those same categories. And we'll go through these things relatively quickly. There's just a way of organizing the material that's here. And I think if you do some of this on your own, you're going to have a very positive learning experience. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Pillar number one is the value of wisdom to recognize the value of wisdom, uh, pillar number one. Proverbs 3, verse 13, what does it say? It says, happy is the man or happy is the person who finds wisdom and the person or the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and she's more precious than rubies. More precious than rubies. There's only two things in the book of Proverbs that are more precious than rubies. One is wisdom. What's the other? A virtuous woman. A virtuous woman. And I think we could say a virtuous man. But this is God's priorities. Now, that's not the world's priorities. The world's priorities, well, nothing's better than money. Have you ever seen this poster of two little kids dressed up as farmers? They've got their hands in their pockets, and they're walking down this dirt road. And uh, one little boy says, you know, I've been rich, and I've been poor, but rich is better. <laughs> rich is better. Life is easier in some cases. But what we're told in Proverbs is that happy is the person, the person that finds wisdom, attains wisdom, that is seeking wisdom, is going to wind up happier than a person that is not. Proverbs 4.7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing, the most important thing in life. The most important thing in life. 
Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Here's these words again. Wisdom. Putting facts and understanding together to make wise decisions. Exalt her. Talking about wisdom. And she will promote you. Wisdom will bring you honor when you embrace her. And she will place on your head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory. So he's using analogies here of an award, for example, at the Olympics, a gold medal. He said wisdom is the principal thing. Focus on that. Proverbs 19, you can just jot one or two of these down. Proverbs 19, verse 8, it says, A person who gets wisdom values his own life. A person that gains wisdom values his own life. In other words, if you do stupid things, you don't think much of yourself. You don't value your life. You're looking at the present. You're not looking at the future. Proverbs 23:23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. It's very precious. Grab a hold of it. And Mr. Ames has this little black book that he carries around, and he writes lessons <laughs> that he's learned that day. Not a bad practice. The, the bad practice would be to make a mistake, supposedly learn a lesson, and the next week you make the same mistake again because either you forgot or you ignored something. In this audience, it should not be somebody that never heard. We talk about these things all the time. Proverbs 31, verse 26 says, A virtuous woman opens her mouth with wisdom, and kindness is on her tongue. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and kindness is on her tongue. This doesn't happen by accident. This is the result of a process, the result of an effort. So pillar number one, value of wisdom. It's extremely valuable, extremely important. Pillar number two, how do you gain wisdom? Proverbs 1, verse 7, a couple of keys. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is the starting point. This is where you have to start. The fear of the Lord involves obeying God. If you obey God, you're on your way to becoming wise. But fools despise wisdom. They're not interested. They don't want to be learned. They don't want to learn. They don't want to be told. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 2. <clears throat> Notice the conditional statements beginning in verse 1. My son or my daughter, if you receive my words, if you listen to me, if, if you receive my words, if you listen to me, if you treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom. I want, I want to learn. I want to put two and two together. I want to see the relationships. And if you apply your heart to understanding, and yes, if you cry out for discernment, Solomon said, God, give me wisdom. God saw that and he gave him wisdom and then he gave him honor and then he gave him riches. And if you lift up your voice for understanding, God, help me see. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord 
and find the knowledge of God because God gives wisdom, verse 6, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It's in the book. It's in the book. And if we just spend time with it and ask God to help me understand. You know, when I first came into the, the church, I was when they start reading through the whole Bible. And uh, I would read and I'd come across something that I didn't understand. And I would pray about it. God, please help me understand. And if I just kept reading in many cases, <laughs> the answer was on the next page or in the next chapter, especially in the New Testament. Uh, sometimes we need advice from somebody that's had more background. But the point of chapter 2 is seek for wisdom, search for wisdom like hidden treasure and ask God to help you find it, help you see the relationships. And let me just list a couple of others. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 7 talks about wise people don't forget or don't ignore God's word. They don't try and make it through life without ever cracking this book. They don't forget. They don't ignore it. They don't think, well, I know better than what's in there. They don't go down that road. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 13, wise people are teachable. They listen to their parents. They seek instruction from other people. They desire to learn. They desire to learn. I want to learn. I want to grow. Proverbs 10:14 Wise people collect knowledge and they store it up. That's what Solomon did putting the book of Proverbs together. He collected that information, he stored it up, put it in a book that we can read. This is what wise people do. In Proverbs 13:20, let's turn there. You draw a big circle around this in your Bible. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. It says, he who walks with wise men or with wise people will be wise. He who spends time with wise people becomes a companion of a wise person. You're going to become wise. It's going to rub off. But a companion of fools will be destroyed. A person that hangs out with foolish people is going to suffer the consequences Here's a stark contrast between two ways of life. You know, you can walk with wise people by reading biographies of people that have had an impact on the world. I just read a book entitled God and Churchill. God and Churchill. In a way, uh, Churchill was a little bit like Solomon. His dad died of venereal disease because he was running around. And his mother had a history of spending time with this man and this man and this man. This was Churchill's parental influence. But when you read some of his speeches, he talks about the value of a Christian civilization. He talked about what's right and what's wrong. Where did he get those values? Apparently not from his mom not from his dad, apparently spent hardly any time with his dad. They sent him off to boarding school and never went to see him. He wrote a letter to his dad. He said, Dad, you were in the town where my school is and you didn't even come by to see me. Why? I'm here. 
apparently got his values from his nanny. The lady that took care of him had a Christian set of values or a biblical set of values. And apparently she imparted that to him. That was her gift. Didn't come from a dad, didn't come from a mom. But we can spend time by reading biographies, autobiographies. We can hang out with people that have had an influence on the world. This is a way of doing it. Wise people will do things like that, but a companion of fools that hangs around or runs around or reads some of the trash that's on uh, uh, available today will wind up in a very different place. So pillar number two, how do you gain wisdom? There's a process. There's a process. Pillar number three. Pillar number three. Wise people are humble. A wise person is going to be a humble person. It says fools are proud. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures here. Proverbs 15, verses 31 to 33. It says wise people listen. Fools don't. It says, before honor is humility. Before you're honored, it's good to become humble. Because humility leads to rewards. Proverbs 22, verse 4, says, humility and fear of God leads to riches, honor, and better life. Proverbs 22, verse 4, humility and the fear of God leads to riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19 says, pride is an abomination to God, and pride leads to destruction. Because you don't want advice, you don't want any input, you want to do it your way. That's where these attitudes come from, that Satan beams at us because he wants to destroy us. Pillar number four. Wise people seek counsel, and they listen to advice and correction. Wise people seek counsel, listen to advice, and they will listen to correction. Let's notice Proverbs 11, verse 14, and this is mentioned three different times in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 11, And verse 14 says, where there is no counsel, people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. If we ask advice, I'm thinking about a career. Go talk with some people, maybe in the area that you're thinking about. Ask them, what's the job market like now? What's the job market going to be like in five years? What's going to be the job market in 10 years? What's it going to be like? Think ahead. Plan ahead. I'm thinking about getting married tomorrow. And you go shopping for a minister. Will you marry me tomorrow? Might be wise. Say, Mom, Dad, I've met a certain person. What do you think? Now, you've got to be brave to do that. Because they might not think too much (laughs) of your decision. You know, you can risk... Let's put it this way. You can avoid a lot of problems if you get a multitude of counsel. If you you ask your parents, I had a young girl that was uh, babysitting for us once in Pasadena. I'd known her from a church area. 
I picked her up, brought her over to our apartment. We were, my wife and I were getting ready for a dance at the college. And the girl was talking to me in the car. She said, I got a, a letter from a guy that graduated last year proposing. Will you marry me? It's kind of like I'm out here in the field. There's an assistant. There's nobody around. I remember so-and-so. Will you marry me? She said, it's got to be better than this when I get a proposal. <laughs> she said, do you think I'm ready to get married? I said, let me think about it. So we went home, and we were getting ready for dinner. My wife had had a shower, fixed her hair, and we were feeding one of the boys. We only had one at that time. And all of a sudden, he choked on, I think it was a mixture of ground-up liver and peas. So it looked like this brown dirt. <laughs> and he choked. And all of a sudden, this came out all over my wife, into her hair and on her dress and whatever. So she jumped in the shower, had to redo her hair, and this girl said, you know, I don't think I'm ready to get married yet. <laughs> I don't think I'm ready to get married yet. Because my wife had to redo everything and then wash off the baby and clean up the mess. And the girl, she saw what marriage was like and what happens whenever you have children and raising children. She said, I'm not ready for this yet. So she answered her own question. But at least she was willing to ask, do you think I'm ready? Proverbs 11, 14, also Proverbs 15, 22, 15, 22, and Proverbs 24, verse 6. They say the same thing three different times. There's safety and a multitude of counsel. And you can just come up with the, 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 the situation. Am I... What about marriage and dating or dating and marriage in that order? <laughs> what about changing jobs? What about moving, selecting a career? Get some input on these things. Wise people seek counsel, and a fool does not. Proverbs are pillar number five. Pillar number five, wise people exercise self-discipline and self-control. Wise people exercise self-discipline and self-control. Proverbs 15, verses 18 to 19. 15, verses 18 to 19 says, An angry man stirs up strife, but a wise person is slow to wrath. They don't have a short fuse. They have a long fuse. They don't fire off. They realize that doesn't help. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, self-control is better than physical strength. I used to make a number of visits in prisons up in New England. And one of the things you notice in the men's prison, they all walk around with the sleeves torn out of their shirts and got bulging muscles because that's all they do. (laughs) They do exercise to impress other people. But Proverbs says, wisdom, self-control, is better than physical strength. Is better than physical strength. And it mentioned in Proverbs 32 also, Proverbs 31, towards the end of that chapter, that charm is fleeting. Beauty is fleeting. It disappears. But character stays. I saw a joke the other day. That two, older, two older ladies were talking. And one says to the other one, says, you know, I think my house is haunted. 
Because every time I look into a mirror, this old lady jumps out in front of me. I don't even recognize. I don't know where she came from. House wasn't haunted. She was just getting older. And she changed. But she didn't want to recognize that. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 11. Proverbs 29 and verse 11. Again, talks about self-control. It says, a fool vents his feelings. They just blow off. But a wise person holds them back. A wise person doesn't fire off or just let everything hang out. They exercise self-control. They maintain control of their emotions. Okay, let's keep moving. Pillar number six, a wise person guards their mouth and their tongue. They just don't say everything that they think. Proverbs 13, verses 2 and 3 said, a wise person guards their mouth and that will preserve their life. That will keep them out of trouble. You go back to, I think it's uh, Psalm 141. One of the verses there talks about, David says, set a guard at my mouth. Don't just say everything that you think. Your tendency, somebody offends you, say, you're a jerk. But it might be your boss. That's not going to go over well. I think David also mentioned Psalm 119, verse about 32, 33, 34. He said, uh, guide my eyes. Don't let, me, don't let me look at worthless things. So we've, we control our mouth. We control our eyes if we're wise. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Somebody comes at you and you come back at them like they're coming at you, and then this thing goes back and forth. So wise people guard their mouth and their tongue. Proverbs, uh, pillar number seven. Wise people choose their friends carefully. Wise people choose their friends carefully. Proverbs 12, verse 26 mentions that. But wicked people will lead you astray. Let me give you just a couple of examples. When I was in sixth grade, the buses would drop us off. We got there for some reason earlier than some of the older kids. And uh, my friend was standing beside me in the hall. And these older kids come walking down the hall, and they kind of bumped us out of the way. And my friend pokes me. He says, tell this kid he's got a bomb in his pants. <laughs> I said, hey, kid, you got a bomb in your pants. He grabbed me, smashed me up against the locker. He said, don't you ever say that to me again. My friend says, give it to him. Give it to him, Gene. He knew the kid. <laughs> and like an idiot, I said something. And my friend had put me up to it. Another time in high school, we'd come out of a, a club meeting. I'd ridden my bike to school. And one of my friends, his dad had just gotten a brand new Ford convertible. And somebody, he said, hey, guys, you want to go for a ride in my new car? And I thought, I'm supposed to go home. But everybody else was getting in the car. Come on, Doug, come on, Doug, get in the car. 
So I got in the car. We started driving out through the country, and somebody said, this speedometer says 120. You think this car will do it? He said, I don't know. Let's try. I'm in the back seat. So we're going over these hills, 120, well, probably about 100 miles an hour, and I'm thinking, God, please get me out of here. Get me out of here. We finally got back to school. You might think, no big deal. There was a fellow down in Big Sandy, lived in Gladewater. It's about seven miles between the two. Straight road with some dips. And one night this guy was driving home, and he must have been going pretty fast. He came over one of the dips, and there were two horses standing in the middle of the road. He hit one of them, went up over the top of his car, destroyed the car, killed the horse. He was okay. But if the same thing had happened to us in a Ford convertible, you know, I might not be here talking about it today. I made a bad decision to get in the car. I made a bad decision when that kid said, tell this kid something. In one other case I mentioned in high school, my, two, of my, two of my friends were with me. We were driving a small German car that my dad had. It was a dance at the high school. The high school had a big U-shaped driveway with two posts and chains over the driveway so you couldn't drive in. The parking lot was full, and my friend said, let's park up there by the school. I think your car will get underneath the chain. We'll lift it up for you. So I drive under the chain. We see the janitors coming out the side door of the, the school. They saw the janitors. They ran laughing. Ha, 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 Doug's inside. I see the janitors coming, and I knew they had done something to the hedge over in the far side of the school. So I go over on the grass, saw the hole in the hedge, went out. And then like an idiot, I drove down the road and picked up my laughing friends. I should have driven by and said, (laughs) bye-bye. They were my friends. They got me underneath the chain, got me into a troublesome situation, and then they ran away and left. If we're not careful, if we're not thinking, we weren't supposed to be behind that chain. But I went in anyways. So we've got to choose our friends carefully. If we do choose them carefully, there's going to be a blessing next year, next year, next year. Pillar number eight, wise people are generous and concerned about other people. They're generous and concerned about other people. And this is one of the unique hallmarks of Christianity. Because in the ancient pagan world, they didn't care for people. If you were poor, you were poor. If you were sick, you're sick. That's tough. But at least Christian values have something very different. They emphasize concern for other people. Proverbs 28, verse 27 says, The wise show concern for the poor. Proverbs 29, verses 7 to 14, say pretty much the same thing. Pillar number nine. Pillar number nine. Wise people plan ahead. They think about the future. They develop a life plan. Where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in ten years? What do I need to do to get there? Proverbs 4, verses 26 and 27. Proverbs 4, 26 and 27, ponder the path of your feet. Set goals for yourself and don't get sidetracked. 
Proverbs 21.5 warns against making hasty decisions. Well, I just think I'll do this. No, be more deliberate. Get some advice. Plan ahead. Pillar number 10. Wise people understand the dangers of alcohol and sex. Wise people understand the dangers of alcohol and sex. You might read Proverbs chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 6. It says, avoid a person that comes on with a smooth line that's very seductive. Stay away from those people. In today's world, if you are sexually active, it's kind of like, wow, you're a real man. Or you're a real woman. The Bible says a person that commits adultery or fornication is a fool. They're a fool. They're stupid. And they're going to reap the consequences in their own body. Sexually transmitted diseases. The Bible says don't do stuff like that. Don't do stuff like that. There'll be a consequence. Pillar number 11. Wise people learn to recognize the difference between wisdom and folly. They come to recognize there's a way of life that works and a way of life that does not work. And you could list a whole bunch of Proverbs under this particular category. Proverbs 12:23 says, A wise person conceals knowledge. They don't display everything that they know. They're not always talking. They talk when it's appropriate. And then they don't talk when it's not appropriate. I encourage you to read Proverbs 31, the whole chapter. Proverbs 31, the whole chapter, it says, these were words given to Lemuel, another name for, for, for Solomon, by his mother. This was probably Bathsheba. In fact, the first seven or eight verses, she says, My son, don't hang around loose women. But he did. He says, My son, plead the case of the poor. You'll be compassionate. And then she outlines the qualities of an ideal woman, an excellent wife, who is strong, who is capable, who's concerned, who understands that beauty isn't everything, that that's fading. The most important thing is character. The most important thing is character. Another proverb says, a wise person does not promote himself. He lets others praise him or her. Pillar number 12, and we're just about done. The conclusions about wisdom we read in Proverbs 3.13 that gaining wisdom will bring happiness. Gaining wisdom will bring happiness along with long life, with riches and honor. Proverbs 13.15 says wisdom will bring favor, but the way of a transgressor is hard. If you do things God's way, things are going to go better. If you do things not God's way, you're going to have trouble. It's just that simple. Proverbs 16, verse 7. Maybe jot this down, read this, think about it. It says, when a man's ways, when a person's ways please God, even his enemies will be at peace with him. When a person's ways please God, 
even that person's enemies will be at peace with them. There's going to be good results. The ultimate benefit you read about in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Daniel 12 and verse 3 says, Those who are wise will shine as the stars forever as members of God's family. These are the intangible, ultimate benefits of becoming wise. We conclude then, the Bible emphasizes two ways of life, God's way, Satan's way, or the world's way. One is a broad, wide way that everybody goes. The way towards wisdom is a narrow way that few people find. A big part of life is learning how to recognize what's right and recognize what's wrong. And to have little bells go off when you realize, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I'm getting into a dangerous area over here. I better run, get out and run in another direction. To find wisdom, you've got to spend some time reading the book of Proverbs. Spend some time reading the book of Proverbs. You know, I went off to a world of college. I was a nominal Christian. I went to church on Sundays. I didn't understand the Bible, but I did read the book of Proverbs a number of times. read the book of James a number of times. And it kept me from making some really bad mistakes. If you'll read the book of Proverbs several times a year, maybe once a quarter, read a chapter a day, read it in the morning, and keep your eyes open through the day, and then review it in the evening. And there's going to be lessons that will jump out of those pages. Encourage your children to read the book of Proverbs. Encourage young people to read the book of Proverbs. Single people, adults, to study the book of Proverbs. Give speeches about a proverb. Give some sermonettes about a proverb and illustrate it with real-life examples. You know, my goal in the sermon today has been to help us realize the incredibly valuable resource that is in the book of Proverbs. It was given to us by a loving father that I love you. This is the way that's going to work. Do it that way and you're really going to benefit. God wants us to build character as we learn to make wise decisions. And those decisions will help us avoid the pitfalls of life and enjoy a happier, more successful life. I'd encourage you to mine the treasure in the book of Proverbs, to learn to apply the 12 pillars of wisdom we talked about today. And I think if you do that, you'll be very glad that you did.